Oh, how good it is to sing the praises of our awesome God. Amen? Amen. It, it feels a little stormy, doesn't it? It feels like 2020 just will not quit. And yet, through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. Do you believe that? Lord of all, Lord of viruses, Lord of 2020, <laughs> Lord of all. There is nothing that is beyond the reach of our great and glorious and sovereign God. And this is why we sing. This is why we gather near and far. Because we've got a story to tell. We've got a message to announce to our neighbors and to the nations. He is Lord. Christ alone. Amen? Amen. I'm having fun this morning. I don't know about y'all, but uh, I, I'm so glad to be here today. And uh, thank you to your pastor for the invitation to come and, and to worship the Lord with you uh, and to bring forth uh, his word. Uh, I also send greetings from uh, your seminary a little bit up north over at Southeastern. Uh, we are having a wonderful time, even as we're trying to navigate exactly how to do school uh, uh, from, uh, from the midst of a, of a pandemic and everything. But the Lord has been really, really kind to us, and uh, things have already gotten up and running, and I'm already teaching. And you know, it's interesting, after about five or six months of not teaching, I didn't realize that there was a such thing as, uh, as teacher shape. You know when you play basketball and you've let off for a little bit and then you come back and you're just like, I'm, t I'm tired. You know, what, what was that? You know, I'm feeling that as a professor. You know, I'm, I'm done with classes and I'm just like, whew, it's been a while since I've talked that much, you know, and it's, it's, I got to get used to it. I got to get back into, into prof shape. So, uh, so be praying for, uh, pray for the brother that, uh, that the Lord would be kind to, uh, to get me back into professor shape with teaching and so on. But we are so grateful to, uh, to partner with you uh, in making disciples, uh, raising up men and women, boys and girls uh, who uh, sense that the Lord has not only saved them, but that the Lord is calling them to go and to serve our neighbors and the nations. And so we are so grateful uh, for you. Uh, we are so grateful for uh, your fellowship, and uh, we're so grateful uh, for your partnership in the gospel as well. Well, with all that said, let's go to the scriptures. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. When you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. All right. And I, I could hear you all online, too. I, First Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 8. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. 
For to this you were called, that you might obtain a blessing. Four, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now let's pray that God would give us insight and understanding to receive his word and to heed his word. Let's pray. Father, there's no way that we can get it apart from your Holy Spirit. Sure, we can, we can recognize nouns and verbs and adjectives and adverbs. Sure, we can put sentences together and, and we could even understand a bit of a logical flow, but there's no way that it would make enough sense to change our lives apart from your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we ask that you would do what only you can do. Don't just open the eyes that are in our, in our faces here, Lord, but open the eyes of our minds and our hearts that we may see through your Scriptures the very glory of our Lord Jesus Christ that we may see that he is worth living for, that we may see that he is worth dying for. May we, as we've uh, sung, Lord, I pray that we would indeed build our lives on Jesus Christ and on Christ alone. We ask big things because you're a big God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. So have your way among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. You might be unfamiliar with the name Stephen Slater. For a few weeks in 2010, he was an internet legend. See, he was a flight attendant for JetBlue Airlines. And apparently he was mistreated while he was working there. And so for one special moment, the last straw finally fell. 
You see, one day as passengers boarded the plane, there was one passenger, there's always one, uh, who had a hard time stuffing his, his overpacked suitcase into the overhead bin. There he is, pushing and pushing and pushing, trying to get this thing in there, and, and it's not budging. Nothing is happening. And, and of course, Stephen is looking at him like all flight attendants do, like they've got six heads, and just going, you, you need any help with that? No, 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 I've got that. I, I, just give me a second. And eventually he gets to a point where it just is not budging. So what does he do? Well, he does what, what only he can do. Now he's got to get it out of the bin. It didn't get all the way in, and now he's got to get it from halfway in to all the way out. And so now he's pulling, and he's using as, as much energy, maybe even more, to get it out of the bin until finally it goes out of the bin, flings out, and when it does, it smacks Steven Slater. And that was just everything that you could hope for. Because Mr. Steven Slater had had it. He went over. He grabbed the PA intercom uh, mic, and he yelled to the top of his lungs, I quit. Then he threw the mic down um, after a few choice words, went to the back, grabbed a few beers, released the emergency evacuation chute, and he slid down the plane, as many folks would say, in a blaze of glory. Now, even though the cops absolutely arrested him, <laughs> Stephen Slater, once the news had broken and gotten all over the interwebs, uh, he, he became a cult hero. Why? Well, you know why. You know why? Because I can almost guarantee that you have felt what he felt that day. Now, you're not stupid enough to actually go through with it. <laughs> that's, that's all on him. But, but you've had those moments where you've just felt like you can't take it anymore. I remember experiencing that one time. Uh, it was a summer. I was a college student, and I decided that summer that I was going to work at a summer camp. <sighs> now, here's the thing. I didn't go to... Uh, uh, we didn't have a cabin or anything like that where we, where we were there. It was like kind of like a day camp type thing. You'd spend all day with the kids and everything, and then I would go home. And, uh, and there were many, many days where, where I just couldn't take it. And it, sure enough, it was during that time that there was a new band out called Lincoln Park. And they had this song called One Step Closer. And the chorus uh, that had this refrain that they would say over and over. It would say, because I'm one step closer to the edge and I'm about to break. And the bridge was just as poetic as that. The bridge was very loudly, shut up when I'm talking to you. Okay? So here I am, I'm driving home, and I would hear that song on the radio, and I knew what was coming with the bridge. And I was just like, this is, this is therapy. I love this. I love this. And so I took it, turned it all the way up, rolled all the windows down. I'm a college kid. You know, this is back before, you know, my unredeemed, you know, or at least further back in my sanctification. And, and, and I'd turn it all the way up and just yell, shut up when I'm talking to you! You know, and I would <laughs> just yell this as loudly as I possibly could. And, and, and you know what that's like when you're one step closer to the edge, right? You know what it's like when you've, when you've reached that point where you're like, I just simply can't take it anymore. 
You've gone through uh, uh, years and years of parenting and, and you've made sandwiches for your kids. You've done their laundry. You've done all of this. And nobody says thank you. Nobody appreciates you. And you just wonder, how much longer am I going to take this? You know, how much longer am I going to go through this where, where I, I, I want, I, I'm serving, I'm doing the right thing, I'm loving my kids, and yet there's, there's so little in return? You say, I'm one step closer. <laughs> one step closer. Or maybe you work, and, and, and at the job, you, you've got bosses or, or whoever it is that's over you that, that, that's in, uh, trying to influence you and pressure you into doing things that you know would be unethical. And you wonder, how much longer am I going to take this? Because I can see my colleagues moving further and further up on the ladder, and I'm just kind of stagnant here. And I know exactly why I'm not moving up like they're not moving up. You wonder, just how long am I supposed to go through this? How much more am I supposed to take? Or it's 2020. and You go on social media and you realize it has gone insane, right? There are all these folks, people that used to stand up for what was holy and what was righteous and what would honor Jesus, and now you find yourself being bashed by those same people when you're saying the very things that they used to say. And you wonder, how long am I supposed to go through this? Why, why am I all of a sudden the bad guy for standing up for what is normal? You wonder, how much am I supposed to take? How long am I supposed to go through this? On and on and on. And on it goes, and you wonder, at what point do I grab my intercom mic, pull the chute, and just say, I'm out. I'm done trying to stand for what is right. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be about me. You know, as we've been going through, as you have been going through, I haven't been here, but as you have been going through First Peter, you may have noticed a pattern that Christians are placed in tough spaces. Which means that Christians get mistreated on a regular basis. You've seen this in the, in the, in the letter. You've seen this in chapter 2, for instance. Flip back to chapter 2. Where Paul's, uh, Paul, I knew I was going to do it. I knew a Paul was going to come out sometime in here. Peter uh, said in verse 13, uh, uh, let me go up to verse 11. Verse 11 in chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In other words, that, that thing that you're thinking about doing when you're mistreated, don't. I used to have this, this, uh, this one lady uh, who used to work in the communications office at Southeastern. And, and, and there'd be some folks, you know, online that would be throwing shots at us, you know, and, and, and saying uh, very uh, nasty, negative, you know, untrue things about us, just slandering us. And there'd be those moments where I would want to grab my phone and I would just be like, oh, it's on. It is on like Donkey Kong. And I'm just like, well, I'm about, I'm about to do this. And, and, so, and so right as I would do it, there was something, perhaps the Holy Spirit saying, why don't you pass this on to her? She was the director of communications. And I sent it over to her, and I'd say, what do you think about this? And she would say uh, very, very uh, um, 
uh, logical argument and all of that, she would say, no. <laughs> That's what Peter's saying here. Peter's saying, no. <laughs> you you want to you wanna go hard? You want to you retaliate? You want to go? No. All right? Look at the times where he says this. In, in terms of the, uh, uh, the government, how we respond to the government, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. It is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Notice, in terms of how you relate to the government, the government may be unjust, the government may do bad things, the government may be corrupt, the government may be here only for their own power and for their own money and all of these different things, but you still obey them. Wow. I guess in election year, you don't get an amen on that one. But, 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 you know, but, but that's how you're supposed to be. That's how you're supposed to function. That's how you're supposed to live. Right? No matter if there's a donkey or an elephant there. Look what he says in verse, uh, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. I think in, in our day, that's probably referring to the work situation. You may have an employee who is a jerk. You may have an employee who, or an employer who, is, uh, uh, who, who only thinks about himself, who only thinks about his profits and things like that, and he may you know, trounce all over you. That's okay. You keep going in there and you keep doing your job because you're a Christian. Notice even in marriage in chapter 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In other words, he's saying here, don't be a nag. Right? Don't be sitting there going, you didn't take out the trash. You didn't do this. You didn't, your socks are still sitting here on the floor. You know, and all the, put the seat down. You know, and all these different things that you could say over and over again. No, 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 no. If you want to win your husband, if you want to win him towards holiness and towards godliness, then you are to respect him. You are to, to, uh, to show him your pure conduct and so on. Don't be an antagonist. Instead, you're seeking to be Christ-like. Hope in God, he says in verse 5. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. This is how you are to be. So notice, you may be in, in, uh, living under an unjust government. You may be working under an unjust employee. You may be uh, living under an unjust husband in the home. But in all of these difficult situations, in all of these tough spaces, you have an opportunity to show Christ. Don't pull the shoot just yet. See this as an opportunity to show them Jesus. And now in verse 8 of chapter 3, Peter turns to this setting, the church setting, the family. How are we to live together when we're feeling the pressure out there? I think he's very clear when he says this to us. We are to bless, not blast. <laughs> when you are under the pressure, bless, don't blast. You could imagine in this situation, as they're feeling the pressure outside of these walls, that as you gather together, you start taking those tensions and those frustrations and you start bringing them into the gathering. 
so that now you, you have a hard time trusting the person that's right next to you. You have a hard time loving the person who's right here next to you. You have a hard time serving the person who's right here next to you. And Peter says, no, bless, don't blast. Look what he says, verse 8. Finally, all of you, by the way, you could tell that he was a Baptist preacher because he says finally, and then he writes two and a half more uh, chapters. <laughs> finally, all of you have unity of mind. Look at these. Unity of mind, one. Sympathy, two, three. Brotherly love, four. Tender heart, five. A humble mind, okay? Look at these, these five terms. First one, have a, a, a unity of mind, literally be like-minded, all right? Uh, uh, what does that mean? That means that we've got to be on the same page as believers. It doesn't mean that we agree on every little thing. Of course, we're not going to agree on every little thing. But it does mean that we need to agree on the right things, okay? We need to agree on the gospel. We need to be like-minded when it comes to uh, the, the ultimate goal of us living for Christ and for his glory. We got to be on the same page as, as disciples following Jesus and as witnesses to our world of the good news of Jesus Christ. We got to be on the same page on the right things, okay? That's the first one, like-minded. Second one, sympathy. I love that word. It's, it's a Greek word. Uh, the word is uh, sympathos. You've got pathos, the idea of, of, of emotion, uh, the idea of even suffering. When we talk about Christ's road to the cross, we call it the passion, which is just a derivative of that word pathos. But then you got that prefix sum pathos, to, to, to feel and to suffer with others. He says that's what we should expect in the church. We should expect that when one person hurts, everybody hurts. When one person's going through, we all band around that brother or sister, and we suffer with that person. That's what's the meaning there of sympathy, okay? We are to be like-minded. We're to share in each other's suffering, sympathy. We're to have Philadelphia. No, we're not talking cheesesteaks. We're, we're talking about uh, uh, the, the word there, Philadelphia, philos, love, adelphos, brother. Most of you know that uh, uh, the nickname for Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. It's because that's what Philadelphia means. It means brotherly love. Do you have this familial love for one another? Where you come together and kind of like Olive Garden, when you're here, you're family. Is that how you are as a church? Do you look at each other as family? Do you treat each other? Well, maybe you shouldn't treat them like family, but but do you do you treat them like Jesus's family? Because <laughs> I know there's some of some folks where you, you treat them like family, you're like, I am treating them like family. Back off, you know. And, <laughs> but treat them like a Christian family would treat. You know, do you do you have that fam that familial love for one another? Do you notice with the fourth one, a tender heart. It's one of my favorite words. You splunknon is the word. You splunknon. Uh, the, the word for splunknon is actually the word for our innards or our bowels. You got the prefix you in there, so it's good bowels. <laughs> you just go, 
Peter, you completely lost me. I have no idea what that word means. Well, back in those days when they would talk about uh, affection for somebody, they wouldn't refer to their hearts. They would refer essentially to their gut. Some of y'all have felt that way. I, I know when I met my bride for the first time, uh, you know, I saw her and she was a beautiful, beautiful woman. She still is. She's gotten only prettier and prettier by the day. And uh, <laughs> um, you got you to get the points wherever they come. You gotta, uh, but I remember the moment when I was going to propose to her. And when I did, I didn't feel a lot of things right here, but I sure felt a lot of things right here, right? You know, my gut. You know, you talk about people talking about butterflies in their stomach, you know, or things like that. It's that feeling where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. Uh, but, but, the, but that was matched with the sense of there's just this intense affection that I have for her, this deep, deep love that I feel for her. I don't feel it right here. I feel it all the way deep down here, right? Peter says this is how we are supposed to be towards one another, which kind of ruins the, the whole idea of you can love someone but not like them. It's really hard not to like someone and feel this deeply for them. Right? He, he wants you to feel that. And you splunk non, this uh, it says here, tender heart, but I would say this deep-seated affection for one another. And then lastly, this humble mind. Uh, we are to, to think lowly of ourselves. We're, we're, we're not to get a big head of our, about ourselves, but rather we realize that it is only by the grace of God that we are saved, and it is only by his Holy Spirit that we are grafted into this body, and it is only the Holy Spirit that can make us Feel this deeply for one another and to love each other with such earnest affection as Peter has been saying over and over again in this letter. This is something only God can do. I don't have a big head about myself. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve because I'm just so happy that I'm on the team. That's what Peter is saying here. Now, all of these are what we need if we are going to bless instead of blast. How do we know we have it? How do we know this is in us? What does this look like in action? Well, that's where he goes in verse 9. He says, not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Think about that. Obviously, you can get the, uh, the resemblance here. It sounds so much like Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Peter was there. I know sometimes we forget that, but Peter was there that day, and he was on the mountain with Jesus. He heard him teach these things, and now he's teaching it to uh, these Turkish Christians uh, uh, that, that are uh, scattered abroad. And he says here that we are not to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, we're to bless. Now, there are some commentators that say, uh, that say this, obviously, Peter uh, in from verse 8 to verse 9, Peter shifts from talking about how we are supposed to be within the body, how we're supposed to be inside the church, to how we are to be outside the church. Verse 9, talking about what we're to be outside the church. Because Peter 
could not envision a church uh, where people are treating each other wickedly. To which I would say to that commentator, have you ever been to church? Let's be honest. I know I'm the guest here, and you probably don't want to air your dirty laundry or anything like that, but I just, I just assume that if you are a normal church comprised of humans, that there's going to be, there, or there may have been some time over the years, even in a church that is still relatively young as yours, that there has been some experiences where people have not treated you like Jesus would expect them to. Can we agree on that? All right, you don't have to point fingers or anything, but, but, but that's true. And I know it's true because, again, you're a church of humans. We sin, right? We mistreat people. We feel the weight of, of the pressures of living for Christ in this world, and it's the tendency of humans, even Christian humans, to lash out on other people. You know how you do that. You, you, some of you do that when you get home from work. You go through a day of, of just dealing with junk over and over and over again. And you get home and, and your kids come up to you and say, oh, daddy, how you doing? You're like, ah, I'm good. Don't touch me. You know, or your, or your, your bride comes to you or your husband comes to you and says, hey, sweetie, how you doing? I'm fine. You know, okay, chill. <laughs> Surely, if we do that at home, you know the tendency to do that in church as well. He says, not, re not repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Don't blast. So what do you do in those moments when you feel that pressure? Do these qualities in verse 8 come out? Does, does the church look more like verse 8? when you're under pressure or less. This is where the Spirit must move among us. This is how the Lord must, this is what the Lord must cultivate in each one of us if we are going to be this kind of body. Now, why would Peter tell us to do this? I mean, why can't I just have like one time where I can just vent? You know, one time where I could just like, like anger in, in, in the Inside Out movie, just take the, you know, take the controls and jah, with the fire blasting out of his head and all that. Why can't I just have that moment? Well, you can't have that moment because uh, Peter says, then uh, look at the end of verse, eight, uh, verse 9, to this you were called. In other words, we bless, not blast, because God has called us to bless. He has called you to bless. This is his calling on your life. You go, wait, 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 what are you talking about? Well, here's what I'm talking about. There is a God in heaven, amen, who lives and he rules and he reigns over the entire cosmos. The whole universe is under his control and he orchestrates it and moves it according to his powerful word. And this God can see through all of the galaxies and all of the planets in our solar system, and he can come all the way down here to Raleigh and see you. And he knows you. He has a plan for your life, and he has called you. There was a moment, I believe, for most of us here where the Lord has called you to himself. 
You heard the gospel, whether it was from a neighbor or whether it was from a parent or a sibling or a total stranger or some pastor, maybe even Pastor Sean. And, and, and you heard this, and when you heard him say, turn from your sin and turn in complete trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, it didn't sound like Pastor Sean. It sounded like, like, like there was someone greater than Pastor Sean speaking through Pastor Sean into your life, into your heart, and you said, I can't live the way that I've been living. I can't go in this direction anymore. I have to see Jesus. I have to turn from my sin. I must be with him if I am going to be saved for all of eternity. That was the Holy Spirit calling you. God was calling you through the gospel, drawing you to himself, and he poured out his grace on you to open your eyes so that you could see and you could believe that Jesus is the Savior, that God is your treasure and your Lord forever. It's awesome news. Here's the rest of the story. When God called you, he did not just call you to a future. He also called you to a present. The present is this, for to this you were called. This what? This being blessing without blasting. God called you to this. God called you to a life where you're going to face some pressure, where you're going to be wronged, where you're going to be mistreated. And instead of demanding your rights, and instead of demanding, you know, that, that, uh, uh, that, that, that you be treated better in this world or anything like that, he says, you turn around and you bless and you pray for those who persecute you and you love your enemies when they are acting wickedly against you and all of that. This is the way that you live your life. This is what God has called you to. Why would God call me to this? For to this you were called, look at verse 9, that you may obtain a blessing. This is the life that leads to blessing. We bless without blasting because we want, not, not only because God has called us to bless, but we bless and don't blast that God might bless you. We do so that God might bless you. Peter, how, can, how in the world can you say that this is the blessed life? How can you say that this is the life that God chooses to bless. Well, he, got, he has his Bible open and he turns to Psalm 34. You see that in verse 10? The, verse 10 through 12 is Peter quoting Psalm 34. So Peter's reading his Bible. And from his Bible, he draws these conclusions about what we're to do when we're under pressure. Look what he says. Verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, how many of y'all would desire to love life? I don't know anybody that wakes up this morning and says, I hope my life is terrible. No, you want, you want to love life and see good days. You don't wake up and say, I hope this day is horrible. You know, how, how you get to the end of the day, how was your day? It was terrible, just as I thought it would be. Well, no. You know, whoever desires to love life and see good days, what must he do? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You want to have a good day? Watch your mouth. Huh? <laughs> what? What, how, what does that have to do with anything? You'll see. 
Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you see what's going on here? Peter sees from the lips of David in Psalm 34 that there is a way that we're supposed to live. Righteousness, yes, is what our Lord has provided for us through his righteous life as our substitute. He came down to this world for unrighteous people like you and like me, and he lived the righteousness that we could not live on our own. He was the one who in all, was tempted in all parts as we are yet without sin. He was the one uh, who had no sin in his life, and he lived totally, perfectly for the glory of the Father. And then he laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins so that when we trust in Jesus, his righteousness is placed on us. Our righteousness is placed on him. He receives our unrighteousness and God punishes him for it. We receive God's righteousness or Christ's righteousness and God blesses us for it. Amen? That's not all there is to righteousness. Righteousness is not just a standing that we have before God the Father. Righteousness is also the life that we live as a result of having that standing before God the Father. You see what I'm saying? You're, we need Christ's righteousness in order to save us, but that righteousness through which we are saved must flesh itself out in the way that we live our lives. We are not just to be righteous, we are to do righteous things, okay? Please understand that. And Peter is saying, if you want to have a good life, then you need not just to be righteous before God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but you need that righteousness to flesh out, to permeate into every little nook and cranny of your life. He says, God will bless you if you follow him in righteousness, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, he says then, the Lord's eyes are on the righteous. What does that mean? That means this. When you are under pressure, you're tempted in that moment, that retaliation, that revenge, that, that pulling the chute, all of that is the temptation from the evil one for you to turn away from righteousness. You see what's going on? In that moment, you're being tempted to take matters into your own hands and say, God, I got this one. I, I, I can't wait any longer. I got to do this one. And what you're saying, what you're doing in that moment, Peter is saying, following David, Peter is saying, you're forfeiting the good life that God wants for you when you take matters into your own hands. Because in that moment, what you're doing is evil. And the Lord wants to bless the righteous. You see what he's saying here? So in that moment, when you have that temptation to, to just lash out and, and go you know, full force and, 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 and revenge and, and in anger and all of that, Ask yourself, is this worth losing the blessing that God wants to put on my life? Is it worth 
that much? Is it worth losing the opportunity that I have to show Christ? We'll see that in just a, in just a few seconds. Is it worth losing the face of God? Is it worth losing his smile on my life? If you love life and see good days, keep pursuing righteousness, even when it hurts. Well, lastly, you see in verse 13 and following, Peter draws some some ideas from this. He says, uh, who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Of course, the answer, I think, is uh, everybody. (laughs) Who's there to harm you? The entire world is here to harm us if we are zealous for what is good. And so he says, okay, okay, even if, verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, notice, you will be blessed. What's the blessing? What's the blessing that you're talking about? Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. He's quoting Isaiah 8 there. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Watch this. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Note, when you suffer for righteousness sake, and you continue to love, and you continue to serve, and you continue to show uh, uh, kindness to those who are hurting you and mistreating you, and you continue to love this body and not lash out on them and everything as well. Notice, you are showing off that you have the hope of the gospel. Why? Because I trust the Lord enough to know that he is going to deal with all these things at the end. He is the one that's going to be the lifter of my head. He's the one that's going to right all the wrongs that are done against me. I trust Christ that he is the one who is going to fulfill all of his promises, and I will stand blameless before him on that day, hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant, and he will strap on his sword, and he will fight the battles that I have entrusted to him. Isn't that exactly what happened in chapter 2 when Jesus, it's, uh, Peter says about Jesus that he did not revile in return, nor did he, uh, was there any deceit in his mouth or anything like that? And it says that he instead entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. You are showing that that hope that Christ had is your hope now too. And you say, I'm not going to deal with it because I trust that Jesus is going to take care of it all. And people are going to look at you and they're going to say, you're weird. How is it that you don't respond? How is it that you don't retaliate? We don't understand. And Peter says, that's the opportunity that you have to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Notice, we bless, not blast, because God's called us to bless. We do so because uh, we do so that we might receive a blessing that God may bless us. And then last, we do so because we're blessed to represent Christ. It's through this that God provides the opportunities for you to show them who Jesus is. Notice, Jesus who suffered unjustly and yet all the way to the cross he endured and God raised him up from the dead. 
We show the validity of this gospel and the power of this gospel when we too suffer unjustly and we too obey God and are faithful all the way to the end. And God in his grace raises us up just as he raised Christ up in the last day. You show that the cross is this powerful. You show that the resurrection is also this powerful. People are going to wonder what's up with you. That's your opportunity to tell them it's all about Jesus. So, how do you respond to this? Some of you, I can assume, are going through some hard times right now. You feel like you're holding on for dear life. You're trying so badly to do the right thing. Please understand that you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit, The triune God has got your back. You have the power of the Spirit working in you so that you can continue faithful all the way to the end. Does it hurt? Yeah, it hurts. But look forward to the hope that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And with that hope fueling you, continue to love, continue to serve, continue to bless even when they blast you. Can we pray? Oh, Father, have mercy on us. Give us grace, Lord, that we would not pull down the chute. Give us grace that we may see, even in the midst of the fire, that you are giving us an opportunity to magnify Christ. So help us, Lord, in the tears. Help us in the hurt. Help us in the pain. Help us in the struggle to keep our eyes on Jesus. And with the full assurance that his promises are true and are yes and amen in Jesus, may we continue to bless that as we do so with gentleness and respect, you may draw even more to the Son. Help us to be in our lives an embodiment, if you will, an embodiment of Christ's death and resurrection. May we represent Christ well. And may you draw many more to the Son. We love you, Father. We thank you. If there's anyone that's here that does not trust Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray by your grace that they may see that Jesus is worth the struggle. I pray, Lord, that they would turn from their sin and they would trust in Christ completely. Continue to move among us, Lord, as we worship you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name.